Well, good morning. What a wonderful time of worship. I told the first crowd this morning, whoever you call as pastor is going to be greatly blessed by the worship of this body and by the leadership that's given to worship and the emphasis, and I'm grateful to get a little taste of that during this interim time. Please open your Bible today to the third chapter of the book of Ruth. The third out of four chapters. This is the fourth message. We have one more. We'll finish this series next week uh, entitled, Take Off Your Shoe and Spit in His Face. That'll be the... <laughs> uh, that's a subtitle. I may change that title before uh, next Sunday. But you, you'll be interested to see that is scriptural and that actually did happen. But today... The title of the message is Getting at the Feet of Him Who Has the Right to Redeem. Getting at the Feet of Him Who Has the Right to Redeem. I want to read this morning, I just want to read the first five verses, but just let you know that we'll be dealing with all 18 verses in this chapter and we'll come back. But I want to just read the first five verses because we want to take a little time. That sets the stage for the message today. So we invite you, if you would please, to stand with me as we read Ruth chapter 3. I'll be reading through the first five verses. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, that is Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? She is winnowing bar See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. This is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Would you be seated? Over the past half century, I have witnessed the decline of our culture when it comes to the matter of love and marriage and family. In fact, when I began my ministry, I could not have even envisioned some of the issues that we are facing today in the church of Jesus Christ. So we've seen our culture spinning out of control, much like the days when Ruth was written. You'll remember that the setting for the book of Ruth is the time of the Judges. And the last verse of the book of Judges gives us a, 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 a summary of that age. It says, everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. And so that's pretty much where we are as a culture. There are no absolutes in most 
people's minds today. You and I who are evangelical believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have to admit not even all of us, are the few that hold to moral absolutes today. But the Bible never compromises. Now, so today we want to look at this little oasis in the middle of this dearth or wilderness or desert culturally. I, uh, I heard about a lady who had as her goal in life to marry four men. She wanted to marry a banker, an actor, a preacher, and a funeral home director. Somebody asked her why. She said, well, one for the money, two for the show, three to make ready, and four to go. Well, in the case of Boaz, she was interested in her daughter-in-law Ruth not having four husbands, but she certainly had her eyes on one husband. And that man's name was Boaz. I was studying this week from Holman's commentary, and he had this interesting thing. I, I share it with you. He says, if Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, were to write for advice from a second millennial B.C. advice column, it might read like this, and I quote, Dear Abigail, my widowed daughter-in-law has daily contact with an older man who shows concern about her and respect for her. In fact, from the moment he saw her, he was deeply interested and has treated her like a princess. But fast forward two months, and he still has not said one word about taking their relationship to the next level. She likes him, but he's not getting any younger. How do we get him to ignite his inertia, to light his lethargy, and to cancel his coma? <laughs> Signed, befuddled in Bethlehem. Well, that's kind of where Boaz is. She's befuddled because Boaz obviously is crazy about Ruth. He's been kind to her. He's been gracious to her. He's been generous to her. And all along we felt that this tension between those two. It's a good tension. But it seems like they're so careful that they're not willing to just let down and tell them how they really feel. Neither he nor her. And so Naomi, not being one to sit and wait, is proactive in her very nature. And so in her fertile mind, and in her, I think, God-directed uh, providence, she concocts a plan. Now, she doesn't need an advice column in the paper to tell her what to do. She doesn't need Oprah. She doesn't need Dr. Phil. She doesn't, need, uh, she doesn't need anybody because she's got a plan. And so she begins in these first five verses to, to initiate that plan. Now look at it. She says in verse 1, she says, uh, My daughter, should I seek rest for you? Now please understand that doesn't mean can I turn the covers back and let you take a little nap. That's not what she's talking about. That word rest in the Hebrew language means security. 
Uh, in fact, uh, the, the Revised Standard Version, which I'm not crazy about, but in this case I like the way it renders that, says, can I find you a home? Basically, it means strength and it means security. When she says, may I find rest for you, that's a way of saying, can I get you a husband? <laughs> can I find somebody that will be your security, will help you establish a home? So she says, can I not find somebody who will be your husband? That's Vincent's paraphrase. Uh, and it says, is not Boaz our relative? Now, you need to understand that word relative is much wider than just saying he's kin to us. The, the, the rendering is accurately he is our kinsman redeemer, which means he was closely related to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now, you remember when Ruth and Naomi and Orpha were en route from Moab back to Bethlehem, and Orpha finally turned around. She kissed Naomi and went back to the garbage can to Moab, never to see her again. But Ruth said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Your God's going to be my God. I'm going to go till the end. I'm going to die when you, with, and be buried where you're buried. Now, what did Naomi try to do? She tried to talk Ruth and Orpha into going back to Moab. Why? Because she said, if you come with me, there's nobody to marry you. And I'm too old to have kids. And you'd be old, too old to get married if you waited for those kids to grow up. And so she painted a very dark picture of how life was going to be when they got back to Bethlehem. But apparently she had forgotten about somebody. She had forgotten about Elimelech. Now, I mean, she had forgotten about Boaz being a relative of Elimelech. And I might add, and we'll get to this more later in the message, there's another one out there, unnamed. There's another secret relative. And he also has the right to redeem. And we'll discover him in just a little bit. So she, she brings up the fact that Boaz is a relative, which means he's a kinsman redeemer, which means that he's related to, to Ruth's deceased husband, Malon, and, uh, and to Elimelech. So this is a special relative. This is a man who has a claim already on Ruth. And it is perfectly legal, perfectly moral, and scripturally accurate for Ruth to pursue Boaz. And see, that's what's frustrating Naomi. Ruth is not being proactive. She's not pursuing him. And she's also frustrated with Boaz because he knows he's a relative and he's not pursuing the relationship. So she took it in her own hands, I believe directed by God, uh, to set up this plan. And we saw how she laid it out. She told her to do several things. Number one, she told her that she needed to wash herself. That's, that simply means be attractive. Be attractive. You know, there's nothing sanctified about ugly, right? Nothing sanctified about ugly. She says, look the best you can. Now, you know, some of us can only do so much. But we're to do what we can do. Amen? She said, wash yourself. Then she says, anoint yourself. Now, you ladies know what that means. Pull out some of that midnight of Moab and spray it on. <laughs> Anoint yourself. And then she says, and change clothes. Now, this is Vincent's paraphrase. Get those ugly widow weeds off. <laughs> Ruth, you've moped around here for two months. You've, you've, you've walked around with these black widow's weeds on. It's time, girl, for you to get those things off 
and to put you on a nice dress and to, to uh, let people know, hey, my past is past. I've, I've mourned enough. It's time for me to go forward. Amen? Amen? That's what she's saying to her. Listen, Naomi's a smart lady. She's got, she's got some brains. You see, here's what she's saying. You can't have a new beginning if you continue to live in the past. You hear that, church? You can't have a new beginning if you continue to live in the past. She's saying, listen, Ruth, do you want to go around in a black widow's weeds and your, you know, everything for the rest of your life? She said, wake up, girl. You remember when David, uh, David's baby died? You remember that? And, and they came in and told him, and they were just expecting David to fall apart. You know what he did? The text says that he washed himself. He anointed himself. Now, guys, we're as bad as the women are. He got some smell good on, and he said, bring some food and set it before me. It surprised him. It surprised him. But you know what David was saying? Here's what he was saying. David is saying that it's time to go on. It's time to move forward. I can't do anything about the past. I can't change the past, but I can change the future. So you see, David and Ruth agree here. She and uh, Naomi agree here. So she is, she's instigating this plan. She washed herself, she anointed herself, she changed her clothes, and she prepared herself to meet Boaz. She did everything she could do. Now, that was the way the, the plan was instigated. Now, let's go to the second point. Beginning in verse 6, we, we see Ruth implementing the plan. Uh, she said, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. So she implemented it beginning in verse 6. Notice what she said. So she went down to the threshing floor. Now, folks, the threshing floor, uh, this, this was a, 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 an important time in, in, agriculturally in, in the calendar for, uh, for Israel. Barley and wheat were the two main agricultural uh, crops. Now, you'll remember this was a special year because the crop was especially blessed. How do I know that? Because in chapter 1, why did Elimelech and Ruth leave Bethlehem, and, and, and uh, Elimelech and Naomi and her two sons, why did they leave Bethlehem? Because there was a famine in the land, right? Now, that was an act of judgment of God. They should have stayed and sought God and said, what do you want to teach me through this discipline? But instead they left and went to the garbage can, Moab, and there all three of the boys died. Now, here, here, here's the point, you, you see. He's... Uh, he is showing, he, God is revealing to them that when we choose to step outside the will of God, uh, there's always going to be consequences. They're going to come. And Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So they went down to the threshing floor, and she said, it's the time for threshing. And in the agricultural world, the process was threefold or fourfold in getting the grain ready for market. Number one, they would, uh, they would take animals to walk over and tromp on uh, the, the husk. And, and that would cause the husk and the seed, the grain, to separate. That was process number one. Process number two would, would be taking that grain and throwing it up in the air on top of the threshing floor, which was built on a, an, an, an incline, so that the wind would blow. And they would throw the grain up in the air, the husk would be blown away, the seed would fall to the ground. 
And then process number three was gathering the barley seed or the wheat. And process number four was protecting it, watching over it till you could get it to market. Well, in this particular case, that's what Boaz is doing. He's in stage number four. He's gathered the grain, they've, they've, they've bundled it, and he's waiting now in order to get it to the market so they can sell it. I remember those days when I was a kid. My daddy was a sharecropper. He didn't get the, much of the share, but he was still a sharecropper. And, uh, and we, we grew cotton. And uh, at the end of, of uh, the cotton season, when we'd, we'd picked all the cotton, and uh, we'd take it to the gin. And man, that was hallelujah time. Riding on that wagon to the gin to, to get that cotton put in a bale. Hey, anybody got a witness on that? It, probably not. That first crowd had a few, but this pro- <laughs> there's a few sanctified folks out there. They know what I'm talking about. But, but it was a time of joy. It was harvest. And that's the time here. And, and Boaz is having him a good old time. And he, he, he's eating and drinking. He's merry. He's tired. He needs a good night's sleep. But all the harvest is in. And he's ready to go to the bank and get his check and go to the bank because harvest time is here. And so he's ready for a good night's sleep. And, and so it, it says here that she went down to the threshing floor, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded, verse 7, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, please understand, don't bring our sex-saturated culture and impose it on this text. You see, this was a legitimate biblical approach for a widow to make toward a kinsman redeemer. If she had been a single woman, it would have been a different story. But here was a widow who had every right to to claim her kinsman redeemer. And the process was while he was asleep to go down and lay down at his feet. Now notice what what, uh, happens here. uh, At midnight, verse 8, the man was startled. And turned over, and behold, I think this is one of the greatest understatements in Scripture. (laughs) Behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? (laughs) She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, notice that phrase, spread your wings. Spread your wings. Remember in chapter 2 when Ruth first came to glean in Boaz's field? And he invited her to come to lunch with the rest of the employees. And, and she just falls down before him and says, why are you showing me such grace? And remember his answer? Because you... You, you left Moab to come to Israel with your mother-in-law. You left your mother and father behind. Uh, it's obvious you love uh, Naomi. You care for her. And not only that, you're, you're, you have put your faith in Naomi's God. You are now a believer in the God of Israel. And, and, you have, and this is the way he put it. He said, you have put yourself under the wings of God. Remember that? You put yourself under the wings of God. That was just a way of saying you've been saved. You've come to the God of Israel. You've submitted your life to Him, and He has saved you. Well, now notice she uses the same words. And she says to Boaz, I want you to do for me what God did for me. 
God put me under his wings. Now, you're under God's authority as a redeemer. Now, I want you to exercise your authority to me and put me under your wings. God's going to use you, Boaz, to meet my needs, to give me security, to take care of me, and more importantly, if God wills, to give us a child. And that child will be the heir of my first husband, Malon. So basically, this is a proposal. You see it, church? When she lays down at his feet, and she takes the cover off his feet so he wouldn't be startled, he would just wake up gradually because his feet got cold. You know my wife does that sometimes. Does yours? Can I have a witness? And he woke up. And immediately when she said, I am Ruth, your servant. He's been thinking. You see, he's wanted this to happen all along. But you know what he thought? He thought, I'm too old. He goes on here and says, here, um, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. Now, what was the first kindness? That's the way she treated Naomi. Remember he told her, you've been kind and gracious. That was the first. He said, this last kindness is greater than the first. And that you have not gone, listen to this, after young men. Hey, I've got a feeling once she got those widow's weeds off and put on that pretty dress, she could have probably had any of them. Right? Listen, I think this lady was a knockout. And on top of that, she was strong. Because if you notice at the very end of the verse... He put 80 pounds of barley on top of her head and she walked home with it. That's a pretty stout lady. So she was pretty and she was strong. He says, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. You know what he's saying? She said, will you? And he said, will I? She said, will you exercise your right as kinsman redeemer? He said, I'd love to. He said, I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet, uh uh-oh. Yet, beware of the yets. There is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, that's a pretty strong statement, I will redeem you. I'll do it. I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Now, here is a Here is an amazing thing. Naomi instigated it. Ruth implemented it. She was obedient, if you want to fill in the blanks, to Naomi. She showed her respect by obedience, and she was willing to take a risk. She was willing to put everything on the line and lay down at the feet of Boaz. That was a risk of faith. He could have said no. But you know, isn't this an amazing plan? 
God is so gracious and kind. This was a plan where Boaz could say no and have the least amount of embarrassment. You see that? And Ruth would have just got up and went home and nobody would have known anything about it. That's, that's God's goodness. But he gladly, he gladly said, your risk of faith is paying off. Because I know of nothing I'd rather do than be your kinsman redeemer. Now, we come to the third part. Naomi may have instigated it. Ruth may have instituted it. But it was Boaz that consummated it. Amen? Amen. Boaz said, anything and everything you want me to do, I will do. Man, can you imagine? He woke up in the middle of the night and his dream came true. Uh, there, there have been a lot of rude awakenings in Scripture. Life is filled with them. You ever had one? A rude awakening? You see, Adam woke up to discover that God had created a wife for him. That's a startle. Jacob woke up. <laughs> Jacob woke up and found out he had married the wrong woman. <laughs> Boaz woke up at midnight and discovered a woman was sleeping at his feet. Wow. And the first thing he did was prayer and praise. I think he was the first man to ever sing the doxology. <laughs> he woke up in the middle of the night and said, praise God from whom all blessings flow. All creatures here below. He was a happy man. He began to praise and and pray, thanking God for His goodness. And then he accepted the proposal. Yes, he was a man above reproach, of integrity, and he reveals it here. You know, this could have turned into a moral debacle. It could have. This was the time of the judges. This is a time when adultery was committed in the name of religion when orgies were a common occurrence, when sexual promiscuity was, was everywhere. This was an opportunity. This could have been a moral debacle. But it reveals the character of both Ruth and Boaz. He said, you go back to sleep. In the morning, I'll finish what we've started. He began to consummate. And we'll see next week the end of the story. Well, no, because the story hasn't ended yet. And the story won't end until the Savior comes back and establishes His kingdom. Well, that's the, that's the message, but what's a message without some application? You see, in order for Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer. Three things had to be true of him. Number one, he had to be a relative. Not just anybody could be a kinsman redeemer. Just because I wanted to, to, to redeem your land and marry your widow, that didn't mean I could. I had to be related. So he had to be, whoever the kinsman redeemer was, had to be related to Elimelech and Malon. Boaz fit that qualification. Number two, he not only had to be a relative, he had to be able. You know, if you're poor as Job's turkey, 
you're not going to take on the responsibility of a, another mother-in-law and another wife. I mean, you just, pardon my English, but you just ain't going to do that. You can't, you're, you're, you're not able. No matter how much you want to, you can't. And so Boaz was willing. Guess what? Boaz was a rich farmer. He was, he was able. But there's one other thing. He had to be a relative. He had to be able. Number three, he had to be willing. You see, not every relative who could be a kinsman redeemer wanted to be a kinsman redeemer. And we'll see that next week when we talk about take off your shoe and spit in his face. You see, there was another kinsman redeemer. He met all three qualities, except he was not willing. Now, here's what I want you to see as I close this message out. I want to give you some applications. This is the most important part of the message. All the other is just leading up to this. You see, Boaz is a picture of our heavenly Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ruth is a picture of the church of believers. And as we observe how Ruth approached Boaz, it is an example of how we approach Jesus. And so let me just take just the remaining moments that we have, and I want to give you a couple of, a, a contrast and a comparison, and just to close this out and drop this in your heart. First of all, no, I want us to contrast the way Ruth approached Boaz to the way we're not supposed to approach our heavenly Boaz, Jesus. Number one, before Ruth could go to Boaz, what did she have to do? Wash herself, anoint herself, put on a new dress. Folks, isn't it wonderful to know that before we can go to our Jesus, we don't have to wash ourselves. Amen? The scripture says he washes us. We don't have to anoint ourselves. He anoints us with the Spirit of God. We don't have to put on a new cloak our dress, our suit, because he clothes us in his righteousness. Amen? Yes, amen? So you see, we don't come to Jesus like she came to Boaz. We, we don't wash ourselves, cleanse ourselves up. We come to him and he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You don't have to rest before you come. You come and he'll give rest. And that's a word for some of you here today. You've been putting off giving your life to Christ. You've said, I've got to clean my life up. I've got to get better. I've got to clean it up so I can come to Jesus. Friend, that's thinking backwards. You come to Him, let Him clean you up. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But none of us are too sinful. Doesn't matter what your past has. Listen, Jesus is your heavenly Boaz. He loved Ruth when nobody else much loved her. He cared for her. He strengthened her. He provided for her. That's our Jesus. Jesus loves you. Now, He doesn't love what our sin. He doesn't love what we've done, but He loves us. And He looks beyond your fault, and He sees your need, and He's willing to meet it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a contrast. Now, let's look at a comparison. The comparison is this. Ruth humbled herself by lying down at Boaz's feet. You know, four times in this text, the word feet are used. 
God has something, thinks something good about humility, you know it? And when she got at his feet, the feet of him who has the right to redeem, she is setting the example for us. When we desire to approach our heavenly Boaz, the Lord Jesus says, come and get at my feet. You see, we get at the feet of him who has the right to redeem. We get at his feet, which means we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. It means we, t- we submit ourselves to him and to his will. Hey, can I tell you folks, nobody, nobody, mark it down, nobody will strut into heaven. And some will miss heaven because they're too proud to admit their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. Now notice this, when she got at the feet, he told her what to do. When she got at his feet, he told her what to do. My dear friend, that's a good word for some of us believers. You're having trouble with the will of God? (laughs) You say, God never shows me what to do? God never, listen, when she got at his feet, then he showed her what to do. Our answer to the will of God problem is to humble ourselves and to get at his feet, to lay our agenda aside and embrace his agenda. Scripture says in 1 Peter 5 and 6, he gives grace to the humble. Hallelujah. Uh, Here's number two. Here's the the second, the second uh, uh, comparison. Ruth came making a faith request, and so must we when we come to our heavenly Boaz. What was the faith request? Cover me with your wings. That was a request. That was a request. There was a time when she came under the wings of Jehovah. That was a faith request. She embraced Naomi's God, faith in faith. And when we come to our heavenly Boaz, the Lord wants us to come in faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And here's the third one. Ruth came committed to a lifetime of obedience. She came to Boaz, surrendering her future into the hands of her Boaz. Up until now, Ruth has been working. But when she gets at his feet, then he starts working. And he says, you rest I'll work. You rest. I'll finish this thing. And my dear friend, what God begins, Paul said in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozier wrote these words, and they're good words to close on. I quote, the Lord will not save those he cannot command. He will not divide his offices. We cannot believe on a half Christ. We take him for what he is, the anointed Savior, Lord, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He would not be who he is if he saved us and called us and chose us 
without the understanding that He can also guide us and control our lives. Ruth gives us the example. When we come and lie down at the feet of our Savior, when we humble ourselves, we're not just wanting to miss hell. Not if we have biblical faith. You're not just coming to miss hell. You're coming to surrender your life for the rest of your life to serve Him. Closing question. Have you gotten at the feet of Him who has the right to redeem? Have you? If you haven't, I can't think of a better time to come get at the feet of him Jesus who alone has the right to redeem you see he earned that right by dying on the cross for you and three days later rising from the dead for you he has the right to be your redeemer I wonder if today might be the day you need to come and get under his wings how will you do that Number one, humble yourself. Number two, believe Him to do what He said He would do. And that is, if we'll repent of our sins, put our faith in Him, He'll save us. How can I do that, preacher? Simply, one good way is just to tell Him and ask Him, Lord, I want to come under Your wings. I believe Jesus died for me, and He rose again. And I want You, Lord, to take me under Your wings. Be my Savior, my security, my Lord. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I wonder today if there's someone in this room and you need to call on His name. We're not saved by praying, but praying is a way to express our repentance and faith in Him.